Thank you. You may be seated this morning, and uh, thank you for joining us today. Uh, I already did this, but it just seems like I need to do it again, all right? God is good, and all the time, I hope that you believe that. That is a security for us, right? That God not only is God, but that he's a good God. And Romans says that he's working all things for good. Remember, he doesn't say all things are good, because sometimes life stinks, doesn't it? Sometimes life is icy and you just get stuck in your house and you're going stir crazy and you're just praying the sun will come out. Can I get an amen to that? Uh, there's two types of people. There's the type that like to just stay in and hunker down and, you know, drink hot chocolate or coffee or whatever you do. And then there's the other type of people who are like, I've got to get out of my house. How many of you just got to get out of your house? Okay. And usually you're married to the person who wants to just stay in the house, right? That, that's the way it is at our house as well. But uh, I did enjoy a few days of just hanging out at my house. And, uh, and so I hope that you all didn't fall down. How many of you took a fall this week? How many of you watched somebody take a fall this week? Isn't that so much better, right? Okay, I'm a jerk, I know it. I own it, it's me. Um, hey, as you know, I'm wearing a t-shirt today. I can get away with this because my wife is out of town. So don't tell her, hopefully she's not watching online. How many of you thought I was in, in Las Vegas this weekend and wouldn't be here? Okay, some of you saw a Facebook post. It was just my wife went. I, I'm the bachelor all weekend. It's so good. I can eat whatever I want, do whatever I want, wear whatever I want. God is good. You guys, you guys weren't going anywhere with me. All right, Joy would be proud of you, I guess. In case you don't know, my name is John, and I'm blessed to serve as a pastor here. And uh, if you're new with us today, we have, right after this service, we have uh, Discover Hallmark. And it's just an opportunity for you to get to, to know me a little bit better, to know what it means to become a member. And so if you're interested in that, right after this service, just follow the signs through the atrium. It's about a 30-minute uh, meet and greet is basically what it is. So even if it's your first time, if you just want to get to know me better, uh, there's a warning with that. But if you want to, then follow the signs immediately following the service. I'm going to invite you to turn to John 17. That's where we're going to be in a moment. Uh, but as you make your way there, I want to remind you, as Soya mentioned, Project 938. That's what we're going to be talking about all month. We're going to have an emphasis on the 15th through the 19th. That Wednesday and Thursday, the 15th and 16th, would be a great opportunity for you to come hear from some of the uh, families in our church that God is calling uh, to go to Wales and also to Niger's West Africa, and you'll get to hear their story. We have some from Mongolia, from the Philippines. It'll be a great opportunity just to kind of introduce you to what's going on around the world. And the reason we use these three letters, 938, is based on Matthew 938. And I've challenged you about a year and a half ago to set your phone alarm for 938, whether that's AM or PM or both, if you're like super spiritual. So 938 to pray. And in Matthew chapter 9, verse 37, this is kind of the, the theme of the, this entire month. Jesus provides an opportunity and an obstacle. He says here, he said to the disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful. Like, let's put that in terms today. There's a lot of people who need Jesus. Do you agree with that? 
There's a lot of people who need Jesus. There's a lot of people in our neighborhood, your neighborhood, in our community that need Jesus. That's the opportunity. Then he presents an obstacle. And what's the obstacle? It says, but the laborers are what? Few. There's a lot of people that need to hear about Jesus. There's few people telling people about Jesus. That seemed to be a problem for Jesus when Jesus was talking. Do you think that's the same problem we have today? Yes or no? Yes. Okay, so what's the solution? There's an opportunity, there's an obstacle. What's the solution, Jesus says in verse number 38? He says, pray. Pray that God would send more laborers. Pray that God would send more people to tell people about Jesus. That, and here's what I believe, that if you begin to earnestly pray that every single day, you know who God's gonna answer that prayer with? We all know the answer, we don't wanna say it, right? You, me, as, as we look at this display, I keep wanting to lean out and I'm kind of scared too, but as we keep looking at this display, this one, like I love looking at that every, every time I walk into the sanctuary and see these white balls that have a name represented, that, that, what that tells me is that some of us, some of you are, are, are saying, I'm an answer to that prayer. Send for someone to tell. Do you think God has stopped asking us to tell people about Jesus? And I kind of assume that if it was a problem when Jesus was talking in person to people, we kind of deal with the same, same problem. And what was the solution Jesus said? Pray. Pray that God would send someone. And really, the someone is, it's you. Right? And that, that's what we're going to talk a little more about this morning. I wanted to give a brief uh, recap, I guess, from our um, business meeting or vision meeting last Sunday. And I thought Matt did an amazing job just leading us through all the numbers and really it was honoring to God, right? Because he pointed out two things that when we look at our budget and God's provision, that it was pointed out two things, that God was faithful and God's people have been faithful, been radically generous. And he mentioned a number that maybe it stuck out in your head that last year, 2022, we gave over seven, you gave over $700,000 to missions. Isn't that amazing? Uh, yeah, that's awesome. It's so great. And, and about 75% of that goes to worldwide missions overseas. About 25% of that we use here locally for local outreach and local missions. Okay, just so kind of give you the, the rough numbers of that. But I want to explain to you how that number has become so large over the years. You know, our budget, typically from 30 to 35% of our budget is, is missions, which I don't know how familiar you are with church budgets. That is not normal. Okay, it's way abnormal. It's much higher than most churches. And, and so let me explain why that is. Okay, many years ago, uh, this church decided that they were going to be radically generous. It's one of our core values, right? And they made a decision that 15% uh, of the general budget off the top is going to get taken out of the general budget and moved over to the missions budget. 15%. That's not very normal, okay? It is radically generous though, right? On top of that, since about 1967, our church was introduced into a program called Faith Promise missions. And there was a missionary from the Philippines, Bob Hughes, that came to Hallmark and he challenged the people of Hallmark. I was not one of them. Okay. Uh, he challenged the people of Hallmark in the late sixties that they would commit, make an annual commitment to give above and beyond their tithe 
to missions to support the mission endeavors of the church. And many people, some of you that are in the room today, said, I'll do it. And they committed from 1967 to 1968. They're going to give. And almost every year without fail after that, there has been an opportunity, a missions emphasis, whether that was one week, whether that was an entire month. And they gave everyone in the church an opportunity to sign up for another year. Will you commit for the next year to give above and beyond your tithes to missions? And that's just been something this church has been doing since the late 60s. I shared in September that in that line item, Faith Promise Missions, since 1967, this church has invested nearly $22 million in Faith Promise Missions. That you as a church have given above and beyond your tithe. Is that radical generosity? It is. And God honors radical generosity. And, and so I'm telling you that to say that on the 19th, February 19th, okay, between now and then, you're going to be receiving a commitment card. And I'm going to ask you today to begin praying, God, would you want me to make a commitment for the next year that I'm going to give above my tithe, specifically to missions? Because if we all do a little, God can do a lot, right? And so I would encourage you, if, you're, if you haven't already started, just start. I've been blessed that I, I personally have been given to mission since I was a teenager when I first got a job because it's just what I was taught. My wife and I, since we got married, have always made a commitment every single year to give to missions. And so I'm, I would never encourage you to do something that I'm not already doing. In John chapter 17, let's, let's get to this, all right? Uh, and I think uh, as we talk this month, Project 938, we're talking about you specifically living on mission. What does it look like for you to live on mission? And should you be living on mission? And if you should live on mission, what is that mission that you should be doing? That's what we're going to be talking about. And in John chapter 17, you may be familiar with, with the passage, but let me just give you the context. We're going to focus on the middle portion, verses 13 through 19. And in the context here, it seems like based on chapter 18, that as soon as Jesus gets done praying, the disciples get up and they go to the garden. This is the night that he's going to be betrayed, arrested, beaten, and crucified. So in verse 1 of chapter 18, they get up and they go to the garden. And this is what's about to take place. In chapter 17, Jesus is praying. It seems as if this is the conclusion of they've been celebrating Passover. Jesus has instituted the Lord's Supper. And now it seems like his final word to the disciples before he's going to be arrested is a prayer. That's recorded for us. Isn't it pretty cool that we have a recorded prayer of Jesus? In the first part of the prayer, Jesus prays for himself. The middle section of the prayer, Jesus prays specifically for the disciples who were his followers at that time. Like he's praying for those. Have you ever prayed with someone that you just felt like they had a different relationship with God than you did? You guys ever pray with someone like that? And have you ever had someone like lay their hands on you and pray over you? Isn't it like powerful when someone prays over you? Think about the disciples in this moment. It's Jesus praying for them. And I think this prayer that is specifically to the disciples has implications and applications for us as well. The last section of the verse, 
of this prayer, Jesus prays more specifically for us, future followers of Jesus, us. Isn't it pretty cool that you can read what Jesus was praying about you 2,000 years ago? And what was he praying? That we would be in unity so more people would find and follow Jesus. That's the summary of, okay? So let's focus on verses 13 through 19. Verse 13, but now I come to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Again, he's praying about the disciples who are in the room listening. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of this world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of this world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Does that sound similar to one of our core values, right? We're biblically driven. Because why? His word is truth. Verse 18, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they may also be sanctified by the truth. Verse number 18 is kind of really the focus here. This idea of being sent. You realize Jesus was a missionary? Do you realize that? Now, oftentimes we think of the word, I, I think, so I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but I think most of the time when we think of the word missionary, we think of those people, right? Those that have surrendered and they're going to West Africa to, to work in a hospital, Right? like Steve over here and Katie over here. They're going to go to Africa, uh, to Africa and they're going to they're gonna do a specific task and they're going to do it over there. That's, that's what often we think of missionary. And, and the truth is sometimes the reason I think that that's a default thinking of ours in the church is because that's kind of what we've emphasized as a church, right? In general, that missions is something you go. We, we go on a mission trip, right? And that's going to be to Cambodia. Or this June, we're going to go to Kenya, Africa. That's a mission trip. That's what we do over there across the sea, right? Are you guys tracking with me? Does that make sense? But really a missionary is someone who's sent. Jesus was a missionary because he was sent and, and really had two tasks. The first task he, he points out in verse number six, which we did not read. He says, I've manifested your name to the men whom you've given me. Jesus came to show God to the world, right? The invisible became visible. So he came to show the second thing he came to do was he came to save. Verse 19, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. In other words, Jesus came to the broken people to make them whole. Jesus came to sinful people to make them holy. Jesus came as we just said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Jesus, as a missionary, came to show God and to save the world. So I want to walk through this text again and just point out four things, four aspects, uh, four results, if you will, of living on mission. The first is this. The result of living on mission is joy. Do you realize that you were created on purpose for a purpose? Do you realize that? Yes or no? I don't want you to answer this question. Do you live in that? Maybe, sometimes, possibly, I don't know. That's probably 
general answer, right? And in verse 13, we read this. It says here on the screen, Now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. What Jesus is saying is that if we will live on mission, on his mission, we will have joy. Remember what Hebrews said about Jesus? Look unto Jesus. This is Hebrews 12 too. Look unto Jesus, the author and finish of our faith. Who for the, what's the word there? Look up on the screen. Look unto Jesus, the author and finish of our faith. Who for the, what is it? Hmm. It doesn't sound joyful to go to the cross, does it? Living on mission creates joy. Unfortunately for us in our culture, seemingly the biggest mission we have is ourselves, our happiness, our pursuits. I love this statement. The problem with our culture is that nothing is more important than our personal fulfillment. Happiness has become the God of our culture. Timothy Keller puts it this way. By exaggerating our significance, we have lost our significance. By raising my needs to the highest level, I have nothing to live for and nothing is worth sacrifice. Jesus said it this way. He who finds his life will lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake will find it. In other words, Jesus is saying, as a follower of Jesus, you are a missionary. You don't have to go to Wells. You don't have to go to Kenya. You don't have to go to to Africa. You, as a follower of Jesus, are a missionary. And if you are going to find joy in life, What Jesus is saying is, you better live on mission. Stop living for yourself. I don't know about you, but I'm selfish. Can I get an amen to that? Oh, come on, guys. (laughs) If your spouse is, no, I'm just kidding. I could do it, my wife's not here, no. Do you want to live for something bigger than yourself? Do you want to live for something that outlasts yourself? Do you want to live for something that is beyond what we can see? Then Jesus would say, live on mission. As God, you have sent me, the son, I also send them. Why do I send them? It's because I want them to be joyful. I want them to have purpose in life. I want them to have a reason to live. I want them to have something to sacrifice for. And our culture has made us believe that the only thing we're sacrificing for is ourself. And trust me, that doesn't bring joy, does it? Remember what the wisest, wealthiest king said? I've withheld no pleasure, and it's all vanity. It's like chasing the wind. 
I'm never going to reach it. I'm never going to get it. All right, number two. The second thing here, when we talk about living on mission, the power for living on mission is an encounter with God. The power comes when we encounter God. And I wonder in my life, and I wonder in your life, if you don't feel the power of God in your life, it's because maybe, just maybe, we're not really having an encounter with God. I'm not asking if you come to church. I'm asking if you daily have an encounter with God. Because the power to live on mission is through the Holy Spirit. It's on inviting in Christ. Let me give you an Old Testament example of this. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. It says in verse number 1, Isaiah chapter 6, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood a seraphim. Each one had six wings, with two covered his face, two his feet, two with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Can you get the picture of Isaiah is seeing the throne room of God? Verse 4, And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. The house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me. I am undone because I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having his hand a live coal, which he had taken from the tongs, or with tongs from the altar. He touched my mouth with it and he said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is purged. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Do you get the picture here? The prophet Isaiah gets a glimpse of the glory of God, the power of God, the majesty of God, the goodness of God, the holiness of God. And then God asks the question, who will go? What was Isaiah's response? Read it. What, is this? what did he say? Then I said... An, an encounter with God leads to the power of God to fulfill the mission of God. And if I in my personal life am not daily encountering God, then probably I don't have the power of God to live on mission. The good news is this. With God, there's power. Do you believe that? With God, there's power. We say this often, right? You, you are as close to God as you choose to be. It doesn't matter how far you've walked away in the wrong direction. How many steps does it take to get back to God? Yeah, just turn around. Guess who's been following me the whole time? And probably tapping me on the shoulder. Hey, moron. <laughs> hey, dummy. He may use better words than that. I don't know. God ever had to tap you on the shoulder and get you to turn around? God ever slap you on the back of the head to get you to turn around? The good news is, it's, it's just one step back. God will forgive you. God will restore you. 
God will empower you. God will say, hey, go live out your mission. Number three, the way to live on mission is twofold. It's twofold. So in, in Jesus' prayer, what does he say? God, as you've sent me, I send them. So as, right? There's this action step. There's a, uh, this, this how. There's this what does it mean? What does it involve? And I love in Luke chapter 24, I don't have time to read the whole passage, but in Luke chapter 24, um, there's these two people walking on what's known as the road to Emmaus. This is right after the resurrection. They're, they're seemingly going back home from Jerusalem, and it's been a crazy week, right? They've, they've watched Jesus, who claimed to be Messiah, put on trial, crucified, and now three days later, he's risen again, and Jerusalem is like in a stir-crazy uproar of like, what has just taken place? These two people are walking back home, talking about what's happening. Jesus shows up, the resurrected Jesus shows up. They don't recognize him, and Jesus kind of just puts himself in the conversation. What are you guys talking about? And their response was like, do you not know what's happened in Jerusalem? Luke 24, let me read verses 18 and 19. So Jesus asked, what's going on? Why are you so sad? Verse 18, then one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? You not known the things which happened? Who are you? Are you nuts? Are you crazy? Are you been hiding under a rock? You know, like anything you could think of. They're like, what do you mean you don't know what's happening in Jerusalem? And Jesus said to them, what things are you talking about? Don't you, don't you love knowing the story, but people don't know you know the story and you can just kind of pretend like you don't? How many of you do that, right? I, I, love, I love doing that. I like trying to catch people saying something they shouldn't. What are you talking about, Jesus said. So they said to him, the things concerning of Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And I'm gonna focus on those two words. Gives us a pattern for Jesus' ministry. Which gives us a pattern for our ministry as missionaries, as sent ones. His ministry was in word and deed, or deed and word. In other words, we said this last week about radical generosity. When you see a need, you should meet a need. What does that look like in your context? We often say we want you to serve in the church, but we want to serve as the church that most likely the best opportunity for most impactful ministry for you as a missionary, because every follower of Jesus is a missionary, right? Are you guys believing that yet? Because typically we say, well, it's either like the missionary going over there, or I'll concede that it's the pastor and the staff's jobs to be missionaries. As God sent Jesus, he sends staff, right? You can buy that one. Is that what it says? Is that what it's implying? 
The implication is as a follower of Jesus, as a disciple of Christ, that Jesus is saying, God, as you sent me into the world, I send them into the world. Not into the church, right? Most likely, the biggest opportunity for impact for the kingdom of God, for you, is going to be outside this building. Do you believe that? God's placed you in your neighborhood. God's placed your kid on that team. God has placed you in that school. God has given you those classmates, those teammates where the list could go on, right? And as we go, as we do life, Jesus is saying, to be a missionary of mine, it's in word and deed to serve. I don't know about you, but some, some people, their default setting is like seeing a need and serving. My default setting seems to be see a need and try to find someone to meet the need, right? To serve. As, as we look at these, this display, I'm praying that every Sunday when you see it, it's a reminder that there's someone there you're praying for to see to come know Jesus Christ. The possibility is, though, you guys know the old adage, right? People don't know, don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, right? One of the best ministries that Hallmark gets to be a part of is Mano Worldwide. And often they say, we want to give them the gospel, but most of the time people can't hear the gospel because their stomach's growling too loud. And maybe the best thing you could be as a missionary is find someone who needs to be served and serve them. And then when God gives you an opportunity for the green ball to have a gospel conversation, have it. Serve. If I'm going to live on mission, I have to acknowledge and realize God has sent me and he has sent me in word and deed to serve people. And, and again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to double down on this. For most people, the biggest impact you can have on the kingdom is probably going to happen outside this building. Right? But I have to pray, God, give me eyes to see what you see. That when I see a need, I meet a need. When I have an opportunity to share the gospel, I share the gospel. God will give it to you. Number four, requirements to live on mission is holiness. In verse 17, 18, and 19, you know, when um, I've spent a lot of time uh, coaching, I love coaching, okay? Basketball, football, I used to coach soccer. I didn't really know what I was doing about that, but, you know, I always learned in all the clinics that I went to or online forums that I would watch was that, uh, you ever heard of the compliment sandwich? Have you ever heard of that? All right, a few people. It's good for parents. You guys, it's a good, good thing for you to learn too, uh, that, that when you want to instruct, that it's always good to, 
to say something positive first, then a word of instruction, and then something positive after. Okay, so that's, that's good really in kind of any aspect of life, right? In relationships, whether that's boss, whether that's a coach, whether that's a parent, you know, like, hey, listen, I, I see when you close out, you close out with your hand up, great, you're doing a great job closing out on the shooter, but when you close out, oftentimes you open up your stance and you, you're giving the person a direct lane to drive the basketball, right? So you're, you're doing one thing well, but close your stance, right? But I have noticed that once they get by you, you recover pretty well. You usually get back in position, you box out, and, and you get the rebound if they miss. So that's a compliment sandwich, right? Are you tracking with me? It seems like this is what Jesus is, is giving us some instruction in verse 17 and 18 and 19. But look, look, what it, look at the pattern here. Look at verse 17. Sanctify, sanctify them by your truth. Your truth. Your word is truth. What Jesus is saying, Lord, through your word and, and through relationship with God, through the word, draw them into holiness. Sanctify them. Well, then he, verse 18, then he gives us the mission. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Verse 19, and for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. And, and so if we really are going to be effective missionaries for the Lord, we got to look inward, don't we? We got to say, Lord, well, Peter said it this way in First Peter 1.15, but as he called you is holy, he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. First Peter 3.15 and this word comes up again. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that's in you with meekness and fear. And there's this direct correlation between living a godly life and living on mission. Again, the power to live on mission comes from an encounter with God. And Paul tells us to pursue or to flee youthful lust and pursue holiness. And possibly, this is where it's going to get really quiet, possibly our lives are not honoring to God and therefore we can't really be used of God. It did get quiet. So here, here it comes down. A couple questions, and I don't want you to answer them out loud. Do you believe that God has sent you? Hopefully, yes. Do you believe the mission God has given you is important? Hopefully, yes. Do you believe it's important enough to change some things in your life? Hopefully, yes. But where does it start? It starts in your heart. Reconnecting with God. John chapter 15, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I'm going to read 2 Timothy. It's not, it's not on the screen. 
says this, in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified, useful for the master, prepared for every good work. In fact, it, it, it seems really heavy in here right now. So what I want to do is I want you to close your eyes for a moment. That way you, you're not looking at me with your judgy eyes. And you don't feel like I'm looking at you with judgy eyes either, all right? But, but let's set in this heaviness for a moment, okay? Jesus came on mission to reveal God and to save the world. And God has sent you as a follower of Jesus to reveal God and to bring salvation to the world. And how seriously do you and I take the mission? And I want, I'm just, I'm intentionally being quiet. It's hard for you to believe. I just want you to set in that question. How seriously am I taking the mission of God that he has sent me? In a moment, we're gonna stand and we're gonna sing. I'm gonna invite the praise team to go ahead and prepare. And as we sing in a moment, I, I wanna challenge you. If God has revealed to you this morning that maybe you're not taking the mission seriously, that you would talk to God about it. That may mean you, you stay seated when we stand and sing. That may mean you come to the altar. It may mean that you just stand and worship through song. But, but you have a conversation with the Lord. Lord, am I really taking seriously the mission? Am I really praying for the one? What am I doing to serve them, to reach them, 